three, two, one. Welcome to the Politipop Podcast, a.k.a. Mad Facts Fury Bros, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, and I am joined, as always, by my spectacular co-host, Ty. Hey, what's going on? All right, dude, I'm feeling really good about this episode. I completely forgot, like, how awesome this movie was. Uh, Yeah, I'm really glad that you were okay with it when I pitched it to you, because I feel like this is a really, really good film. I think you have imposter syndrome, and you're kind of forgetting that you're also a co-host on the show. So, (laughs) how many things have I suggested that you're just like, oh, I guess I'll just watch a completely new thing. (laughs) Okay, Mike says to do it. No, like, you're you're in it now. Like, you're with me. I go with the flow. I go with the flow. Yeah, and I I appreciate that, because, you know, I, I do tend to take charge a little bit. But, no, this was... This was an awesome suggestion, and um, yes, it was yours to to cover Mad Max Fury Road. And at the time, I was just like, oh, well, I remember it being a good movie, obviously. Uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit about feminism and how cool the movie looks. I delved in a lot more than I thought I would. I got the prequel comic book trade paperback, uh, which has stories in it that are canon to the movie these stories were written by george miller the director of the mad max franchise and the screenwriters and a lot of the art was also done by the storyboard artists for the movie so like uh, these stories were also told to the actors in order for them to get in the character it's got a really cool backstory because uh, i believe it was like 1991 that they were going to originally make fury road um and things kind of fell by the wayside and then in the 2000s, they started, uh, you know, playing it again. And I think they had storyboarded a bunch of stuff. And uh, I think it was like 2004 and, and nothing came of it still. Um, but the the person who did the storyboards actually pitched, you know, a comic book uh, to Miller. And, you know, at the time they didn't work on it. But then years later, when uh, Fury Road came out in 2015, you know, Miller called him up and said, you know what, that comic book, uh, yeah, let's do it. And, the, you know, these were, these like I said, these were stories that were told to the actors. Um, they were, you know, thought up uh, way before, you know, the, the movie came out to flesh these characters out. So they're not just a cash grab. So they're really fulfilling. Um, I like the art a lot. I really enjoyed them. I thought it was a really good read. And for those of you who are uninitiated, you have to know that if they make a comic book into a movie, that's one thing. But when you make movies and shows into comic books it doesn't always transfer over well and it is a lot a lot of times like you said ty a cash grab it's not something that you know that's done out of like the genuine passion for the story but this absolutely was so it was a very pleasant surprise i was a little hesitant to read it but i did uh, mostly just because i wanted furiosa's backstory but it also has backstories on immortan joe and his rise to power which was awesome nux uh and and mad max's story just before uh, this this story picks up. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll so we'll talk about that in detail in a bit. I had a little bit of housekeeping. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about that wasn't directly related to the movie? No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, you do your thing. <laughs> All right. Uh, so listen, if you, the listener, have not heard or watched, uh, 
<laughs> Trump's HBO Axios interview. Please look it up on YouTube and find the full interview. It is one of the saddest and most hilarious things you'll ever watch. You'll get to see uh, Trump wish well um, a, a child sex trafficker, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the name correctly. I'm probably not. Uh, but he, he says uh, he wishes her well. He acknowledges that Epstein probably was murdered in prison. Uh, he says he didn't like John Lewis because he didn't come to his inauguration. And uh, he also has a lot of difficulty reading very basic graphs on the COVID-19 pandemic, like the most basic to the point that there's actually so little information. It is tough to read. You'll see that wow. and more. So did, did you hear the theory, by the way, about him wishing uh, Ghislaine Maxwell well, you know, wishing oh, her the best? Oh, is it like a mafia hit that he called? He's like, he, I wish he, her well. <laughs> well, Scaramucci claims that that's what he does. When he tells, he's trying to tell them, I'll take care of you, keep your mouth shut. Apparently he's done it a few times with some of the other people that have, uh, you know, um, in his circle that have, you know, been uh, on trial and things like that. So I don't know if it's accurate or not, but that's kind of funny to think about. He's like, I'll take care of you. All right. So it is kind of mafioso. Like, Listen, if I'm going to take someone's word for it, it's going to be the mooch himself. Seriously. <laughs> um no, I mean, he he does have, uh, and you've heard it from people who have talked about uh, meetings with Trump and stuff, that he does kind of think of himself and handle himself like a mob boss. So I can absolutely see uh, that that checking out, 100%. Um, also, I know, like, sometimes we save it for the end, like the cool stuff we're getting into, but I just got into uh, this comic book by Robert Kirkman. Uh, you may know him from his writing on The Walking Dead, Invincible. He also wrote Outcast, which was turned into a TV show, but he has this comic book called Die, Die, Die. You and I know about it, obviously, Ty, because yeah. we're big Kirkman heads, uh, but I finally started reading it, and it is hilarious and amazing. It's this, like, completely wild action shoot 'em up story that's just, like, like, borderline grindhouse, but also has these moments in it. Yeah, it's super over the top, super violent, um, and the best part was that it was released surprisingly right like out of nowhere it was just on the shelves because Kirkman wanted to surprise people um so there had been no nothing leading up to it to let people know he's releasing it and now it's a regular comic book uh, yeah I'm, I'm actually trying to see if it's still continuing because i want to decide if i'm going to purchase the trade to finish out all the issues i wasn't able to collect he took a break he took a break so it, it is supposed to keep hmm. going though might be worth it then uh, but there was this one moment in the uh, in the comic book. I'd just like to read a monologue uh, from it. It's uh, this like very powerful senator woman who she also directs like a bunch of for hire killers. And she's having this question of morals, this discussion of morals on the way to an anonymous uh, mask sex party. Um, and uh she she says this, and I felt that it would relate to us and our listeners. I mean, if you're still listening at this point or you started listening, it's, you know, you probably feel the same way we do about the state of the world. But she says, um, don't ever justify something to me by saying that's how it's always been done. I'd be pushing my fifth baby out of my twat and onto the kitchen floor next to my bare fucking feet if that was an acceptable justification for anything. If our job is to make things stay the same way they are, then what the hell are we even doing? Isn't the whole point of things to make things better? What? Isn't the whole point of this to make things better? What things? What things? All fucking things. And if things are ever really great, fuck that. They can always be better. 
I wanted to be a civil servant because I'm disgusted by where we've ended up as a society. At what point did we decide everything was fine the way it was and stop progressing? Is this it? Is this the best we can hope for? Rich people and poor people? The elite? And the rest? Working all our lives to earn enough money to stop working before we die? You think that was the be-all, end-all goal we had in mind when we first gathered around a fire to hunt together? Hell fucking no, it wasn't. And I thought that was an amazing monologue. That's that awesome. Put in there by this woman. Despite the fact that she's also one of the elites and engaged in a bunch of nefarious activity. Yeah, so like the ends justify the means kind of thing, right? She's trying to do the right thing by doing some bad things. Yeah, one of those. So, speaking of doing some bad things in order to do the right thing and questioning capitalism and every, I honestly didn't think that this would be a critique about capitalism and a, and a rallying cry for socialism like some of our other podcasts are, but here we are. Uh, it turns <laughs> out that all of our favorite works happen to have that theme in it, so now I'm starting to question less and less about where, where we've ended up where we have. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're going to be reviewing Mad Max Fury Road, a franchise in which the first three installments... Uh, starred Mel Gibson, who uh, cannot and will not return. Uh, but it was early in his career, you know what I mean? I don't think he was, was out and about as a racist yet. Yeah, he wasn't like, hi, I'm Mel Gibson, I hate cheese. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, it was Australian, you know? He was doing the accent and everything. Yep, and it took, yeah, and then, like, it, the accent faded from his accent. <laughs> yeah. But we are in a more modern fourth installment starring Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. And, Ty, do you want to give them the plot? Absolutely. Mad Max Fury Road, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland, a woman rebels against a tyrannical ruler in search for her homeland with the aid of a group of female prisoners, a psychotic worshiper, and a drifter named Max. I love how they got that so right, because this really isn't Max's movie. Uh, he's not the main no. protagonist. Arguably not. You know, it, it, I don't really think there is, like, a main protagonist, though. You know, like... It is definitely like a group effort. Furios, I think, um, probably steals the show, but uh, they definitely, you know, all have a role to play. Uh, and this is kind of, I think, the Mad Max movie that he always wanted to make, uh, Miller. You know, I think this is like what he dreamed it was possible of being. And in 2015, he was able to accomplish that um, by breaking all the screen screenwriting rules and making just a nonstop, you know, pulse-pounding action thriller with a lot of great themes. And that's such a great way to describe it, too, because when I was watching this movie and trying to take notes, I realized I had to, like, pause every time. Not not since reviewing Parasite did I have to do that because I didn't understand the language. But this is the kind of movie that if you truly do look away, like, if you blink, you could miss something awesome. Like, there's yeah. not a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of visuals. Yeah, I mean, Max has very few lines, you know, for being the title character. He barely talks. I'd also like to point out that this is our second movie back to back with V for Vendetta that have uh, women with shaved shaved heads in it. So, oh yeah, that's true. So, I don't know about you. I'm going to be going all around the movie in this interview. I'm going to try and keep it somewhat uh, like going from the beginning of the film to the end of the film. But between all the sources and the and the comic book as well, we might be going all over. But this this is going to be a good time. So, starting off at the beginning of the movie, we we see that that uh, we get some sound snippets as to how the world ended. Uh, but like specifically, as we learn more about the story and if you read the comic, we understand that 
that basically environmental degradation has caused the end of the world and that there were battles for resources very quickly, like water and, and gas became the most prized commodities. And Max kind of describes this and, and he says it was harder to know who was more crazy, me or them. And this really spoke to me because we talked about it before during our uh, Last Night on Earth episode about kind of being gaslit and being made to believe that you're the one who's wild because you don't want to conform to a wild world. I don't really like using the word crazy. Sorry, you can use it if you want. But yeah, um, but yeah, it, 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 it is very, very interesting to think about that. Like the world now uh, in the Mad Max universe, the normal, the norm is to fight for everything you have and and be uh completely ruthless in it and try to get resources screw over everybody else and only look out for yourself and max is kind of you know because he seems to be of the old world he is very traditional he mentions that he was a cop it seems like the world is moving on and he's not moving with it does that make him nuts or does that make the world nuts um i mean it <sighs> In some ways, though, you know, it's called Mad Max, right? And he is very unhinged in this movie, um, especially compared to the original trilogy. You know, there's a lot of different theories about it. And, uh, you know, it's sort of almost a reboot slash continuation. So, you know, they, they took Tom Hardy um, and they had him play him in a very wild, manic way. Um, you know, even even when he talks, he's very quick and, and you know, uh, doesn't say a lot of words. So... You know, obviously the world has taken its toll on Max, and we see that almost immediately as he's, you know, has this opening voiceover, uh, and he crushes the, the lizard and starts eating it. You know, it's, it's, there's definitely something, you know, off about him at this point. Now, in the comic book, we see that his story, they, they do their best to keep it canon from the original uh, story. They even go so far as to put Tom Hardy's face uh, in the Mel Gibson role for the earlier films as they go, as they go back and do it. Very talented yep. artwork, I believe. Um, and uh, and we we see that his whole story has really been like he's going throughout the world and he, he ends up finding random groups of people or maybe a person here, a person there. And while he accepts certain jobs, it seems like he's really trying to help uh, people. And then at the end of the movie, he just goes on his way. He's the road warrior. He, you know, goes wherever the wind takes him. Uh, Bruce Banner uh, style in the original Incredible yeah. Hulk uh, show. He's a reluctant hero, right? Like he, you know, at yeah. first he doesn't want to ever get involved, but you know, seeing somebody in danger, uh, you know, seeing people suffering, you know, it's it's rooted in him to be the hero, uh, you know. And, and if you go back to the original Mad Max, you know, his family was murdered by a biker gang, right, in that movie, and that kind of like set set him forth, you know, on this almost like revenge. I have to, you know, uh, fight people in the wasteland, but you know, he he just it's in him to to help people when he can. Yeah, and we see that this this movie isn't necessarily different. When we meet him at the beginning of the movie, he's actually coming off of uh, trying to help a mother and daughter. He, we don't know this in the movie. We know this from the comic. But he, you know, throughout the movie, we see, like, him having flashbacks of, of like, uh, you know, this child and a woman, child and a woman. And really, you think it's his daughter and his wife. Yep. yep. What a bold move to not have it be them, right? <laughs> and, and have you not know who they are unless you read the comic. What a wild move. And I was so glad when I found that out because I was like, all right, there's a cool story. And I was like, no, wait, it goes directly into the movie. Uh, but yeah, he has this whole story where uh, this woman helps him in a Thunderdome fight. He helps her get her daughter back. And then he's also trying to get his car. And at the end of it, they're like, oh, you know, you could come with us. We trust you. And he leaves them. And when he does, they die. And we see that that experience fuels a lot of his actions in this movie. 
Yeah, he's haunted by it. I mean, he sees this little girl constantly, um, you know, and it, and it's a it's a driving force for his redemption. Uh, he, I think he even you know uses that word at one point. You know, he says this is a chance for our redemption. You know, he'll say to Furiosa later on. So it, it's you know it's definitely driving him to uh, to do the right thing, um, and and that's you know what drives him to help out these characters later on. Another thing about this part of the world is that it has been occupied by this tyrant who is called Immortan Joe. We don't get much about him in the movie. I mean, we get enough. We don't really need much more, but we do get a lot more about him in the comic as well, that he used to be in the military and he kind of led this mob of of raving men with guns uh, who really took over in the apocalypse. It's almost like they were waiting for this moment to happen. And when they did, they thrived so much. I was going to compare him to my favorite uh, favorite person, Jeff Bezos, you know, because Ooh, people people are, are, you know, they're bootlickers for him. You know, he gives them water. He shares this resource that he controls. Um, you know, he's this this powerful figure that, you know, people love and he's providing this something that they need. But should he even have that resource, right? He took it. You know, it's not his to, to really give. It should be to everyone's. Um, and they love him. They chant his name. He's a hero to them. You know, he's he's a larger than life figure. Um, you know, he's obviously the one percent in this weird, strange world. He takes what he wants, and you know, everyone listens to him. Um, and, and and it's on the backs of the people that are working for him, right? Like he literally sacrifices everybody and anything to get what he wants. He uh, has wives that he rapes so he can have children. Um, you know, he has his war boys that die very young um you know and then he has like these people that are have nothing you know and he i love that line when he says to them uh don't get addicted to water you'll just resent it more when it's gone you know and why is it gone because you won't give them any more water you but you give them just enough to keep them alive and wanting more and it's just uh you know it, you just see that today with so many billionaires and and you know people one percent the people who just love them right and will defend them to the end of time, because, you know, they, they did something that we couldn't, they, they've earned it when they really just, you know, stepped on the backs of so many people. And really, we see that these people are simping so hard for billionaires and the 1% because they have a minuscule chance of one day being among them. And this this reminds me of Nux's story, which we find out in the book. Uh, in the movie, I was originally led to believe that all of the war boys were his children. Uh, but it turns out that that they're not. A lot of them are just recruited from the from the dregs of humanity below. And Nux was one of those. He was searching for a father, and he ended up holding on and making his way to the platform. And he became one of the war boys. Like he had the chance, and even then, he still isn't even close to a Morton Joe's stature or status. But but you know, wants to be noticed by him and wants to be wants to be useful to him and and wants to die for him as well. Well, Morton Joe uses religion, right, to like manipulate these people as well. He tells them, you know, if you if you die for me, if you die heroically, you'll go to the, you know, uh to the gates of Valhalla. You know, later on he says, "I'll carry to the gates myself." You know, and so people are like, "Wow, you know, uh this promise of the afterlife and and you know, and resources, you know, they they listen to every word he says and they just they eat it up." Now, I want to take a moment to talk about Joe and then move on to his commodifying of human lives, because uh, we do we see his physical form. And I didn't recognize this until I, I, I started reading a paper, which I'll link to in the notes 
Uh, definitely, if you have the time, go ahead and read it because it makes some great, and I don't mean you in particular, I mean the listeners. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if you have time, go ahead and read it. It makes some really great comparisons between Joe and how he represents uh, the themes of toxic masculinity and how he represents capitalism as well. And just like you said, Ty, how he, you know, he's using bodies to achieve his means, similarly to how Bezos, uh, you know, is mistreating his Amazon workers and yet being flaunted uh, for, you know, donating what one percent of his of his net worth uh, to people. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Joe, his physical form, like at one time, he was a very strong and intimidating man. Like he earned that citadel. He he threw people at it. He and he went in and fought tooth and nail to get the citadel. Now the citadel is an area in the wasteland unlike any other. It is full of greens and water and and resources that Joe is the one who controls it. Now, when we see him in the movie, he's much older at this point. He's been infected from all of the radio uh radio activity in the area. And um, and all of the all of the sicknesses that the land carries. So he has these like pustules oozing pustules on his body. He's old. He wears this mask so that way you can't see his face. And the mask is made to have him look intimidating. The armor he puts over himself is clear. It's actually a plastic shell, but it's made to resemble muscles over a flabby body that has none. Like he's trying to show just how tough of a man he is. He's still trying to be revered despite the fact that he has incredibly thin skin, relating to a lot of leaders we have today, uh, <laughs> namely one. And um, and also we do see that he has this huge cod piece, like this metal symbol. It looks like a metal dinner plate with a skull on it over his crotch to, you know, <laughs> to imply that he is this well-endowed man who is like the so virile and everything. That's why he's the only one who has who has a bunch of wives. So that way he can he can make the perfect kid. Uh, he he really is a, an absolute monster of of a man who's not long for this world, but he's holding on to 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 the old world and bringing that into the new world. Does that make sense? The way I said it, it does. Yeah, and I think you know he he really wants a viable successor, and all of his children are uh, deformed in some way, whether it's physically um, or, or you know mentally, you know wh- whatever it might be. None of them are fit to actually take over. Uh, and, and he's so obsessed with having that perfect child that will take over as the ruler when he's gone. Um, so he has these these wives, you know, that he um, that are all healthy, uh, beautiful, and you know he he's he repeatedly rapes them to to try and have a healthy child. Um, and I think it's in the comic book they mention they get a certain amount of chances, right? And then once you know, I think it's like three, and if they they can't give a a healthy for you know baby, then then they're thrown out. But, uh, you know, and he has a favorite, a favorite who's who's pregnant right now uh, that he believes will be the, you know, his successor. Yeah. Now, he kind of has this uh, this this way of this natural way about him. And it, once again, I'm going to hearken back to 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 the, the old white cis heteronormative uh, man that that this represents like this older guy, uh, you know, normally conservative who's like, oh, like things have to be, you know, natural, like. You can't have abortions. You can't have birth control. Everything has to be natural. It's the you know the the strong over the weak. Everything has to be natural, uh, while not acknowledging how unnatural the way that he operates is. And with Joe, we see in the comics that he actually needs a, a male enhancement drug to keep himself erect the entire night 
Tawi, he can rape all five of these women. And, you know, uh, we're, I'm sorry, we're sorry for continually throwing the word around, but that's exactly what it is. Like, I don't want to, you know, Thomas Jefferson this thing and be like, oh, he has five wives, consenting wives. No, he has five women that he gives uh, the bare minimum to. He gives that he calls freedom. He calls yes, them freedoms. He calls, yes, he ca- he calls them freedoms. Uh, but but he's he's raping them. And in the comic, that one of them says uh, that that she actually you know she got raped anally. You know they're like yeah. you know she's like oh I'm sore, and they're like oh we're all sore. And she's like well you know I'm not you know where he puts it. There's no chance of having a kid, which you know just goes to show like he may say like he's about family and legacy and having a successor, but he's really just about his own pleasure now one of the freedoms that he gives these women which is his mistake is he gives them a history woman i believe her name is giddy i believe that another name for these history people is our uh, word burgers where they're just people who have words tattooed over every inch of their body and they are tasked with remembering the history of mankind most of the stories actually all all the stories in the comic book are told by the new uh word burger because giddy unfortunately doesn't make it um, and he has this, this really, he has a few great quotes. Uh, one of them is about a Morton Joe. He says, a true leader does not need others to make him strong. A true leader gives others the strength to stand alone. Tyrant. And I, I thought that that was great. It was yeah, very, I love that. yeah, it was very prescient to the time, but he also says by giving them their own word woman, their own word burger. He says, knowledge has a way of dissent and inviting revolution. And that was so great right there. It kind of reminds me of like, you know, you ever seen that meme where it's like, oh, my parents go off to college so you can get smart. You know, me goes to college and learns more about, you know, life and history comes back and they're like, oh, you became a libtard, brainwashed, liberal, <laughs> blah, 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 like all that stuff. Like, but that, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's the thing here is that, you know, like we see in our own world that. We have people who are very against funding education. And I think it's because it's easier to rule over ignorant people. Yeah, definitely. They don't know any better, right? And, and these women, they, they, uh, they learn. They're educated. Um, and they realize, you know, that, that they could have a better life. They should have a better life. I just want to read a couple of other parts uh, that the Word Burger had for us where he, you know, he mentions that in the world after a Morton Joe, spoilers, a Morton Joe gets toppled at the end, uh, hmm. you know, that it's a place where all are equal and everyone is provided for. And he also mentions the big goal of this is to not make the mistakes of the past. He says, we blindly follow history, repeating the mistakes of the past and recreate the problems we try to avoid. For nothing can be solved if we use the same behaviors that caused the problem in the first place. Better to know our history, to understand what it tells us, not to do well well said word burger right he, he burgered <laughs> the hell out of those words uh you know we we do see that with you know with with a morton joe and his dystopia utopia whatever you want to call it and we see that with where we are as a country as well that our whole system is still based off of a constitution that was written so long ago that we're trying to hold on to a history, you know, same thing. We already spoke about Confederate statues and all that bullshit. You know, we're trying to uh, hold on to these to these old relics that got us here in the first place when we really should be looking in other directions 
to to provide a more just society as we progress by doing things we haven't done before. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. Now, Ty, before you brought up his his quote where he says, do not, my friends, become addicted to water, which he calls aqua cola. Uh, you know, <laughs> even like even in this world, he's still invoking the message of capitalism. Yeah. You know, it's not just water. It's aqua cola. When, you know, when he tells everyone they're going to go to uh, Valhalla, he says that they're going to make feast with the heroes of all time. You know, make feast invoking McDonald's. Like what came to mind when I heard this was where our government stands with healthcare. Uh, how it's very much like, oh, like healthcare is a privilege. You know, uh, you shouldn't want more. You know, you shouldn't want cheaper. You shouldn't want universal healthcare. Blah blah blah. Meanwhile, like it's it's brought to light in a pretty stark contrast that Joe is telling his people, don't become addicted to water, which is the very thing they need to survive. We're being told that we should accept having only minuscule resources to survive as well. Uh, you know, and I'm not just talking about the Republicans either. Uh, how, you know, they their whole plan is pretty much just re- repeal Obamacare and and, you know, have the free market, let it work its way out. But, you know, same thing with Democrats. Very few Democrats are 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 for health care for all. I, I'm not sure I could really name any. Yeah. Uh, Bernie. <laughs> right. Bernie. Well, and Democrat, a, you know, on paper. Yeah. I mean, I think AOC does. There's, there's, you know, there's like that. That group of leftist Democrats, because it's a large tent, it's a big tent, so they got a lot of people in there. But yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, Morton Joe tells people not to get addicted to water. You know, they have to conserve that resource, but they have so much of it to give. And the people up top with him are not nearly as many, and he's not really sharing with them either. So you know, he's telling them that you know they can't have this because you know they, they shouldn't they shouldn't want it. They won't they won't have it to, to spare. But they do, and it's the same thing with healthcare, right? They tell us they can't do it. It's not, it's not feasible when it is. When there are plans out there, when there are countries that are doing it already, uh, and you know, it's something that we could accomplish if we wanted to. But again, it comes down to money, right? You know, big pharma has their their money in the pockets of many politicians, and uh, you know, a Morton Joe, obviously, it's it's within you know his best interest to keep people needing him to provide water uh, because that's how he keeps them in line. And this feeds into something I learned about less than 24 hours ago called necropolitics. And from what Whoa. I understand, yeah, necropolitics Necroma- is... Necromances or... I wish it was necromancy. Damn. Uh, but necropolitics is a little more sinister than necromancy would be. Uh, necropolitics means being able to control who lives and who dies. And that's where true sovereignty is granted. And Morton Joe has that sovereignty. He, he, he controls who, not only who lives and who dies, but also how they live. Not dissimilar to where our government stands with us as well. Uh, you know, we have, um, you know, the, 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 let's, let's just take uh, a few of the people that Joe have working for him. He has the milking women who are these women who just sit around all day. Most likely uh, also women, if they're not old wives, you know, like former wives that he had, then he's definitely, these women are getting pregnant and lactating somehow. And their whole job is just to make mother's milk. He has them there like a dairy farm commentary on the, on, you know, the uh, dairy industry in our country. I don't know. Maybe doesn't really seem to be a part of this movie. Uh, But, but he also has like the treadmill rats who are people who just, they walk on a treadmill all day to, to, uh, to, to make power and to operate all the mechanics. Uh, He also has, 
Um, you know, he also has his war boys, which are, you know, namely the, you know, the biggest part of his operation next to his wives. Uh, the war boys are this cult that, like you said before, they're worshiping him and their goal is to die for his vision. Yeah. They, they want his approval, right? They want to keep him, uh, happy and alive and, and his world, you know, operating as it is. And that's, that's their end goal. That's all they care about. And it's kind of a sad goal, right? Imagine your, your whole existence so you can hopefully die heroically. It's, uh, it, it's kind of depressing. And there's even children. There's children, like, you know, the war boys, you know, come from, uh, they're called war pups, right? They're like little kids that yep, are already... indoctrinate them young. Yeah, you know, that are put to work immediately and, and, and trained until they're at the end of their life and then they sacrifice themselves. So child labor, right there. And also early indoctrination. Uh, AOC recently has talked about introducing a bill that's going to end uh, federal funding for the military to recruit in schools. And there's this one author who retweeted her and uh, his name is Clint Watts. Uh, I don't know exactly where his politics stand. You can check out his Twitter if you want. It's just at Clint Watts. But uh, he says that he, he says strongly oppose AOC. Military is one of the best options for low income people to earn a living, gain housing and earn lifelong job skills. What is the bill offering as a replacement? And this right there is is feeding into those same necro politics like that, you know, that he wants war boys. Our, our military industrial complex is made up of war boys. You know, from early ages, we see all the, all the movies and stuff, uh, you know, in the shows, oh, soldiers being fucking soldiers and everything. And then we see it in our video games. We see it in our sporting events. Now, you know, you have people who are totally pro military, uh, you know, making themselves known at sporting events, yet somehow anti-politics at sporting events, whatever. <laughs> but, but, you know, but that that's exactly what what we do here. Uh, you know, we it, it really it really blows my mind. I, it's really it just, you know, the fact that so many people support that stuff, too, is just they just don't understand. They're not seeing, uh, you know, the reality of it. Yeah. And people really don't have a problem with this. Uh, you know, the. I'm going to I'm going to go to this other article I found from decentfilms.com. Uh this is a very problematic article. <laughs> it's called We Are Not Things. Um it it's this pro-feminist but pro-life yet anti-Islam message. They kind of relate the war boys <laughs> to radical Islamic extremists, uh which I mean, I guess, but I think this movie does a very I think this movie is very purposefully making these characters uh white people. Yeah, I mean they literally you know? like paint themselves white. So Yeah, they're covered in powder. They're they're like made very specifically to be white, which yes, I know there can be white Muslims, but um but I I guess, but I think it's really it it's you know condemning the capitalism extremist movement because we're not, you know, that's the normal thing. We're raised into buying and and wanting to get money and 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 have jobs just to to work until we until we die like the woman said and die 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 this this article also quotes the the video that went around in 2015 that was like oh um abortion clinics are profiting off of 
the off of the bodies of, of fetuses and stuff like it quotes that which you can you can see in oh, the God. in the show notes i i have a you know i have a factcheck.org article which is debunking the un, uh the planned parenthood video um you know so so you can get into all of that there but but it was interesting how they how in this article they say like oh that you know young babies are being used for uh f- as a commodity in order to to get to you know to to get capital it's it's human lives literally that's what they thought this movie was about but they completely missed the you know the the military industrial complex and they're like they're angry about abortion but not the fact that you know expendable human lives are really what fuel the capitalist uh machine that you know like they're not upset about the casualties of the Iraq and Afghanistan war also in the show notes uh you know they're not upset about the uh, actually, this this article did come out a while ago, so they wouldn't have known about COVID-19. But, you know, you do have those people that are more upset about Planned Parenthood uh, doing, you know, 3% of their work being abortions instead of the 158,000 people who died from COVID-19 uh, or the 4.8 million confirmed cases. And, you know, really, this is all in the U.S., excuse me. Uh, but like this is all for the sake of capitalism. We see that you've been forced to work throughout this whole pandemic because the government's not going to do its job to take care of you as a working person. And people are being forced back into work. They'd rather reopen the economy, the economy and risk lives than keep people safe. And the scariest part is they've convinced a lot of people that's the best option. I've heard some people go, let's just open the economy already. You know, like I want to go to work. And it's like, why? Why do you? You know, they, they don't want to get a government handout. Um, a, why not, right? And B, is it really Thank a you. handout when we pay taxes all the time? You know, so it's really kind of our money anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's honestly how I look at it. Uh, there's also, you know, all these ideas of like, uh, you know, there, there's there's links in the in the show notes about uh, communism myths and, and the idea of capitalism versus communism versus socialism because this movie is uh, does have a very pro- socialist message uh turns out a lot of the stuff that we're looking at you know v for vendetta like everything kind of has socialist messages you know star trek like it all had that in there and we didn't realize it before uh yet for some reason socialism is always related to communism where you know there's no movie that really has like communist like pro-communist messages (laughs) yeah well you know in the world we haven't really seen true communism either you know what what Russia became, what China became. That's not true communism anyway. But I think, you know, it comes down to a lack of the proper education for us, right? We didn't understand what socialism was. Uh, we just assumed it was all bad, you know? Damn commies, right? That's, you know, that's all you think. Yep. I always equated communism and Nazis as being equally as bad. Um, and then you realize, you know, when you really think back, well, communists fought against Nazis, right? So, it's a it's a very eye opening situation as you learn more about you know um, politics in the world and, and you figure these things out. So uh, yeah, I think a lot of people who are who are artists that are making these projects understand the benefits of socialism and you know what could be accomplished if we you know utilized it more. Um, and you know we're seeing it in these projects. And going back to that abortion argument as well, when we talk about reproductive rights, uh, there there is a moment in the comic book where one of the wives tries to perform a home abortion on herself and Furiosa stops her. And after that, that's when Amorton Joe puts the uh, chastity devices on the, on the wives because he wants to control every aspect of their reproductive freedom. 
you know, which I like how they kind of get down to the bare bones of it, that a lot of laws that, you know, all the laws that that are put forth in, in our country to uh, to curtail and chip away at reproductive rights, they're not there for safety. They're there for control. It, you know, it's not because you want to worry about about the life of that baby, because once that baby is born, you, you want to do- indoctrinate it and send it off to be a war boy, uh, you know, or you want to just throw them to the wheels of capitalism and, and see what happens. You need more workers. You need more people working to to fuel the machine that keeps people rich. I uh, think in the comic, Toast the Knowing, uh, played by Zoe Kravitz in the movie, actually calls it a rape device instead of a chastity device because it's. And that's what it is, you know. Like it's it's not to help them; it's to hurt them. It's to keep hurting them. Yeah, hurting hurting them for resisting, hurting them for for saying no. So, speaking of people who said no, uh, we do learn through the comic and through the movie uh, that Furiosa herself used to be one of Immortan Joe's wives. Yeah, it's you know they never really come out and say it. So, uh, you know, that's one of the projects that's in the works now is her her origin story. Um, but basically, you know, they, in the comic, they say, you know, you were one of his wives, weren't you? Um, and you know, uh, she just, you know, she just doesn't really say yes or no, but you can kind of take her, her absence of words as confirmation. Um, and she's missing an, uh, a hand, right? She's missing like part of her arm. Um, and you know, she's just like some bad things happened and I lost my arm. And, uh, during an interview with Charlize Theron, she did confirm that she had, you know, her character, Furiosa, was a wife. Who was infertile, and I guess she um, was either punished by Joe or fought back against Joe, and I think he must have taken her arm uh, for that. But she wound up, you know, proving herself as a very strong warrior, uh, and he made her, you know, one of his his top, you know, lieutenants, so to speak, in, in his army. I do like this idea that Furiosa doesn't have to acknowledge her history in order to be an ally to these people. Like she kind of starts off as being part of a Morton Joe's crew and and telling these, you know, these women that they should be lucky that they have so much freedom, that they're not scrounging to survive like everybody else. And uh, and, you know, this kind of reminds me of like, the you know, like your your Tommy Laren's and and, you know, your Candace Owens is and, and a lot of right wing commentators who are like, for whatever reason, like anti me too or or you know, or, or anti their own race in the, in the case of Candace Owens, um, you know, it just shows that regardless of, of Furiosa's history, like you could still be an ally without having to have suffered uh, the same injustices. Well, you know, I, I think the thing with Furiosa is um, maybe not necessarily that she believes that's the right thing, but she doesn't see any other options. You know, we do know for a fact that she was kidnapped as a child. Her mom was killed or, or died and, uh, you know, she has been raised in, you know, this, this place. Um, so, you know, I don't necessarily think she's, she maybe believes in that, but, you know, there are not many options out in the wasteland. You know, it's a, it's a bad place, uh, which they bring up quite a few times about how bad it can be out there. This is one of the better places to be, as horrible as that sounds. Um, obviously, it could be much better if everyone had access to the resources that are here. But, you know, Furiosa... Um, she kind of reminds me of Max, to be honest. She is a reluctant hero. You know, she doesn't at first want to help these women. She doesn't, you know, think it's it's something that she has to do. But seeing them suffer, um, getting to know them, you know, it, it brings out something in her that makes her realize she can use her strength to to rescue them. And she does hatch a 
a uh, an escape plan uh, to to get them out of the citadel. I also like how Furiosa, her arm, we'll we'll have to presume, was made by the organic mechanic. It was made by one of by Joe's uh, regime, yep. and she uses that arm as part of her resistance. Like she up until the very end, when Joe is dead, that arm it it kind of is with her as both a help and a hindrance, maybe as if to represent represent that that trauma but she's using it to help others she's using it for something better yeah she actually uses that arm to kill joe which i thought was fantastic now what i i i read that somewhere as well but i thought she put like a spear in his mask and then attached the spear chain to uh to a wheel and then her arm got ripped off with it like she does use that hand to attach it, or did I not see it correctly? I think she grabbed his mask with the hand and undid the the latch and let it drop into the wheel, and it, it pulled his face with it. All right. Well, we'll both check it out at a different time, and listeners, yeah. you, you check it out too. <laughs> I did watch way, it twice when I when I was watching that scene, so I was like, I wanted to see how it happened. And that's oh, then, I'm, like then I'm taking your word for it because I only I only watched it once and then just went about my day, and I was like, oh, we'll see about that. <laughs> um, I actually want to talk about Nux for a bit. Sure, sure. Played by Nicholas Holt, great actor. Yes, and and well done, very well at that. Uh, you know his his whole uh, place as a war boy uh, plays into the some of the text that was left around the graffiti that was left in in the citadel where the wives lived. Uh, at one point, they wrote, "We are not things," which you know we already covered that. We already talked about about how you know, the commodification of a, of a, of a woman's body as, as an incubator for babies, as opposed to actual people who have a right to control that. Uh, but they also wrote, our babies will not be warlords. Kind of talking about breaking that cycle that Nux is in the middle of when we, when we see him in this movie. Uh, we, you know, we do see that he's weak. And the whole reason he's brought into the story is because they hook up Max to him. And it's it's interesting that this is the beginning of his transformation as he starts taking a blood transfusion from Max. It not that exactly. Obviously, the story leads him to becoming a, a better and different person. But, you know, that's the beginning of his transformation that he is. He's this war boy. He wants to prove himself. And I want to note that he tries to sacrifice himself three times for a Morton Joe in this movie and fails at every one of them. Yeah, it's, it's almost played a comical relief eventually, right? You know, I think Morton Joe says mediocre in his last attempt. And it's like, he, he doesn't really care about these war boys, you know. If they can't accomplish what he wants, then they're, they're nothing to him. Well, there's one guy earlier who also had a sacrifice. And his, his I want to say his co-workers, his co-worker war boys, uh, you know, they also call him mediocre when he dies for the cause. And it's it's like, it's more of... A performance and less of a sacrifice, which, you know, back to our own military, that's that's very much the same thing that, you know, these these, you know, these poor guys say what you will, you know, maybe misled by the American dream or by patriotism, go to, quote, fight for their country and end up giving their lives only to have it politicized. Right. We, we hear dead soldiers as an excuse for why black people shouldn't kneel during the national anthem. Like it is more about the performance, about more of being politicized than the the true essence of martyrdom of sacrificing the few for the many. 
Yeah, and it's played, like you said, very theatrically in this. It's like, you know, witness me, you know, and everyone cheers them on, they kill themselves, and they move on, right? It's just like this big, big wow, that was entertaining. No one seems to really mourn each other or care that someone has died. Now, I'd like to spoil what happens at the end with Nux. He ends up finding a cause that's finally worth dying for and does so. He sacrifices himself and the war rig so that way the rest of the, I'm going to call them the Resistance, uh, Furiosa's crew, which you know contains the Wives, Max, and the Vuvalini, uh, who we haven't even touched on yet. Yeah. Um, uh, it'll, yeah, he allows them to escape and go back to take the Citadel uh, after after overthrowing a Morton Joe, and it really is interesting how the whole time he, you know he's being very loud. And he's like, "Witness me, witness me!" Like trying to make a performance of it. And there's only one person who witnesses him, and it's that wife who I don't know her name off the top of my head, um, but it's the one that he's kind of been bonding with this whole time. Capable, is capable. Name. So he points to capable at the very end, and he just whispers, "Witness me." and topples the rig and kills himself and in doing so blocking the rest of the war parties and saving the main characters you know the main crew uh you know it is it is it is this interesting commentary at least from the way i'm looking at it of like what do you really want to die for what's the hill you want to die on do you want to die on that hill of capitalism and of sacrificing for somebody who doesn't even know your name who believes that it's mediocre do you want to you know really die for a good cause and you know, something you and I have been talking about in previous episodes, too. Uh, you know, like, that that's what the choice Nux has to make. Well, you know, I think it's kind of poetic. He actually is finally witnessed, right? Like, the the other war boys, Joe, they don't actually care if he dies. Uh, Capable does. She cares about him. They've formed, you know, a, a very strong bond uh, over the last day or two, even. And, you know, she, she watches him die, and it's a very sad moment for her. And, you know, it feels like... He did something that he'll be he'll be remembered for truly, and uh, you know he went earlier when they're talking about this mission. You know he says it sounds like hope, and I think for the first time, you know something in him has awakened that he's like, wow, you know this this is what I want to die for. This mission here. What's interesting is this kind of goes back to Okja too. Remember, uh, you know the one kid who was the truck driver in the first part of the movie. And then at the end, he's like the social media guru who's totally <laughs> fighting for the animal liberation front. Yep. Like, uh, you know, it, once once you have something that really ignites that passion, uh, it's also interesting to see that Nux from the from the beginning is he's really a scared little boy. The whole reason he went to a Morton Joe in the first place uh, is because he was looking for his father. After his mother died right next to him. Yeah, his mother died after being sick from all the radiation. He's on his last legs too. Like kind of everybody is is sick one of the few people who isn't is max uh which is why he's chosen to be uh the blood bag he's you know they write they tattoo on max at the beginning of the movie all of the things that that he's good for they also mention if you take a close look that not only is he a universal donor not only is he healthy but his genitals are also good oh really i, I didn't even catch that yeah uh neither did i it was in one of the articles right? oh. not the <laughs> not the not the anti-abortion one in the, uh, in the scholarly <laughs> article that was written with actual sources. Um, uh, you know, but they do mention that, uh, that, you know, also men are commodified in, in this, in this culture that Joe is, Joe is putting into this world. 
And and Joe really isn't doing anything new, right? Like we're making all these comparisons between our current world and that world, our current world, and that. Co- that's what it is. It's it's capitalism. That's yep. that's all it is. Is a Morton Joe is taking what he knows from the previous world and now just putting himself at the top of the exact same system that destroyed the world in the first place. It's post-apocalypse capitalism, you know, and that's uh, it's not so far from the truth, you know. As as wacky as this world is. Um, a lot of it, I think, could actually happen, you know, whether it happens exactly the same way, probably not. But, you know, you, you're definitely going to you would see people take advantage. Right. And, you know, they would uh, capitalize on on any kind of resources they can get their hands on. I also like that they call um, I think they call Max a full life. And uh, Nux is referred to as being at his, you know, the end of his half life. I guess because of the radiation and all that, they don't live too too much of uh, an older age where Max is, you know, a healthy adult who will live, uh, you know, pr- pretty long naturally. Yeah, and Max being a healthy adult plays into, uh, the, you know, this other theme that the that the one article was talking about, about um, kind of mascu- uh, masculinity and how every character has their own idea of masculinity in this movie, uh, which, you know, obviously we had a toxic masculinity episode and we talked about Lord of the Rings with Frankie. Uh, but, you know, but th- this this was an interesting look at it. It was in no way anything I, I any conclusion I would have come to. But it was, it's kind of talking about how, like, Max still has this tough masculinity about him. But he's also like he's quiet. He knows when to let Furiosa take the lead when he can't snipe and he leaves it to her in order to t- uh, uh, take out the bullet farmer and and, you know, snipe him out and everything like everybody in this world has their own version of masculinity as you know as far as the author says and and it is an interesting way to look at it i guess the way that she means masculinity is kind of like uh meaning how do they own their violence how do they own their aggression and we see that you know the you know when women take on a different version of 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 their gender norm you know instead of being the wives they become freedom fighters and same with furiosa and max becomes somebody who's less attuned to taking life and more attuned to giving it. Like at the end, he's able to use that full life blood he has as a tra- as a transfusion to help save Furiosa's life. And, you know, we see Nux, he goes from being this this loud, afraid boy, which is kind of what puts him in this cult, like a lot of other afraid boys who are in, the, you know, this cult of personality that we see today. Uh, he ends up uh, becoming uh, calm and peaceful and and more of a loving individual, he beco- and and that's what leads him to become the best version and the last version of of himself. You know, it's noted that the way that this revolution succeeds is because all of the characters stray from their gender norms and their normal idea of masculinity. And I was like, huh. Yeah, I, I think it's also important to to realize that they're only able to accomplish this together. Um, you know, there's no one person that is, has to, has to do everything. You know, there is no Morton Joe in this group. Um, it is definitely a group effort and, you know, that's kind of like socialism, right? You know, we have to work together to improve our circumstances and and we do see this. Uh, and, and also, you know, Max, if you look at the three previous films, um, they're very much, you know, uh, white male savior shows up, saves the day and, you know, uh, it's just like an action fest with, you know, cars and stuff. Great films. But this one really, you know, empowered these female characters. Um, and, and, you know, Max absolutely helps and, and is vital to, to the success of this group. But, 
you know, he is, he's just caught up in it. You know, it's not his story. It's not, uh, it's not his mission. Um, you know, it, it's just very much him assisting them in, in, in accomplishing their goal. Um, and, and I thought that was great. You know, I, I, I like the idea that, you know, he's just, he's just here for the ride to, to help them along when it's really not, you know, not in his benefit. Uh, except to redeem himself. Yeah, and Max's whole arc comes from his growth. In the previous story, he helped this woman and her daughter and decides that he's not going to go back. Now, in this story, he's given the same opportunity. He and the crew, the wives and Furiosa, um, minus uh, Angarad, one of the wives. Uh, the wife, the one that... Yeah, the uh, one that was pregnant with the perfect baby for a Morton Joe. Yeah. Yep. She ends up dying. You know, well, let's cover that real quick while we're on it. So, she dies because of Max, right? Um, not necessarily. She, uh, I mean, she keeps putting herself in danger. You know, she is very oh, much a leader. She's a leader. No, she's <laughs> she a, is, yes. <laughs> she's the leader amongst these wives. Um, she's the one that has stood up time and time again. And she said, this baby will not, you know, be raised by Joe. I would rather die trying to escape than let that happen. Um, she even puts herself between a bullet for her and for Furiosa, right? She uses her own body as a shield. Um, but and that's yes, great you know, to capitalize on the weakness of Joe. Yeah, he won't pull that trigger because you know that's his favorite wife who's pregnant with his possibly healthy child, and he you know he holds back, and she knows this, and she uses it against him. Um, but you know Max is driving when she uh, you know does fall from. From the truck, unfortunately. She slipped. Yeah. On blood. Yep. From the shot he grazed her with earlier in the film. Yeah. So Max killed her. That's all I'm trying to say. All that's right. all I'm trying all to right. say that's is Max killed <laughs> No, it, and yeah, like, but you're right. Like, she wouldn't have been in that position if she wasn't such a strong character. She she definitely put herself there. And I really love, once again, how she just, she, she capitalized on Joe's misogyny. His misogyny was, that child is my property, which he says something similar to that in the film. And, and, and because she isn't viewed as anything more than an incubator for that child, she puts her body in the way. There's a good chance if she wasn't pregnant, he still might have shot. But, but, he, but he didn't, because she was there. Yeah, and then she, you know, she falls from the truck and unfortunately goes under the wheels of uh, Joe's vehicle. And uh, I think she actually doesn't die immediately, right? She's, she's dying um, and they try to take the baby, right, and, and see if they can save it. Yeah, which uh, this bullshit article also noted uh, that uh, that you know, like they were just interested in the baby and not the person. Um, which is it's so funny. It's such a problematically. Like, I mean, that's true though, right? Like that's what Joe really wants, and I think they say the baby was healthy, right? He's a healthy boy in all ways. Well, yeah, Joe is interested. In the article, they relate him more to people who are, uh, quote-unquote, selling baby parts for profit, which oh isn't actually happening. Yeah, like selling... Is this really going in the show notes? <laughs> no, yeah, it's in the show notes. I want, I want oh, people to know the stupid shit that's out there. Um, it, 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 it is ridiculous. And I also, like I said, I also have a, 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 something rebuking that or debunking that. Um, it does also say in that problematic article, Miller manages to inject a genuine feminist perspective, offering an implicit rebuke not only to oppressive patriarchal states, super woke for what is essentially a very conservative yeah, article, absolutely. but to ongoing sexism and objectification in 
of women in Hollywood blockbusters and by extension, the wider media culture from advertising to pornography. Uh, always have to beat down sex work when you can. Uh, but, it, but it is really <laughs> interesting that like they say that like, yeah, that this version of the movie, like you would have, you know, you would have expected uh, something like, you know, like Max and Furiosa to, to end up getting together, like a typical a typical movie with a, you know, with a strong woman and a strong uh, man in the lead would have, but this doesn't do that. No, I mean, there's definitely a connection there. I think they have some really uh, great quiet moments, you know, like when he's cupping her head as he's giving her the blood transfusion or, you know, they're, you know, they, they look at each other and they definitely, you know, they work together so well. They're in sync a lot of times, uh, but it never becomes romantic and it doesn't need to. No, not at all. And and I love how when he is cupping her head, uh, as he's giving her the transfusion, he says, oh, yeah, "Max, M- my name is Max." Like, yeah, but it's almost uncertain, right? Like it's like he hasn't said it in so long that you know it's it almost feels like strange to him to be telling her his name. You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're right. He was very uncertain about it. Like he now maybe he just found. it. Maybe he just found his identity in helping this group. In Furiosa helped him rediscover who he is because, as a as a cop in nineteen whatever's Australia, uh, he, he I think he was all about I'm gonna help people. And we mentioned before that, um, you know, cops in shows and movies are very different from cops in real life. So, uh, but but yeah, like Max wants to help people. He believes in justice. And he kind of found himself again by doing that, by by helping people. Well, he definitely, and he has a hero complex. I mean, he has failed time and time again. He failed saving his wife and, and child. He failed to save uh, this little girl and her mother in the comic, you know, that he sees flashbacks of. Um, he is, you know, he's made mistakes time and time again. Uh, there's a really cool theory going around that he was actually the uh, wild boy from the second movie, the, uh, the Road Warrior. Oh, and that he had the narrator? Inher- yeah, and he had inherited, you know, Max's that's jacket, so and that's why he's saying the name so strangely, because now that Max is dead, you know, he's becoming Max. But uh, unfortunately, Miller did did say that's not true, but he thought it was a really cool theory. I actually really would have loved that, too. Yeah, boy, I would have fine with it. You know, it. he was a wild boy. He couldn't really talk. And, you know, at the and at the throughout the whole movie, he is, um you know, he's narrating it as an adult. So yeah. even like if Fury Road was injected into that canon, like he this version of of quote unquote Max Tom Hardy still wouldn't be that you know that grown man yet. He's still like yeah on his journey the there. Yeah, he barely talks, and because at the very beginning of the movie he narrates and he said you know he's he has some pretty full sentences there. Wow, what a cool! I, I would really like that. I'm not mad, yeah. but. But yeah, I, George, I mean, George I Miller seemed really that. impressed with it. He was like, wow, that's awesome, but uh, not what I planned. So, Fuck, should have wrote that. You know, I think it's just, you know, it's almost like a reboot of the character. You know, he's he's trying to, Partially, to yeah. change it up a little bit. But I love Tom Hardy's performance. I think, for especially for having so little lines, you know, he has some great facial expressions. Um, he's got this, like, manic energy, you know, uh, and, and he's he does a really, really great job in it. And I want to talk about him going back later on in the story. In the movie, we learn that the wives and Furiosa are trying to get to this uh, this oasis called the Green Place. It's where Furiosa comes from. It's where she was born, and she was a member of all of these fucking badass pistol packing mamas uh, called the <laughs> the Vuvalini. And when they find them, 
when they finally get there, it's not the green place. It turns out they actually went past what used to be the oasis. And we see all these women there who have uh, motorcycles and guns. And, you know, if we're continuing into this whole uh, this whole critique of feminism and masculinity, the gun plays a huge part. And like every action movie, it's very much about, uh, you know, it's a it's a phallic symbol and it's used to take life. It's even brought up by is it the dag? In, in this movie, how she calls it, who calls it the anti-seed? It might be the dag. I, I it might be the dag. So one of the wives, they do call it uh, the guns and bullets, the anti-seed. You plant something and you watch it die. And you can see she's kind of, uh, she's kind of um, a little disappointed with the Vuvalini because they all have guns and they use them as well. And, and one of them, she's the keeper of the seeds. She says, well, come over here. And she shows her all of these seeds that she has. And she's like, you know... Yeah, it's great. Back when everyone was supplied for, you used to be able to plant a seed and everybody would have everything they needed. Like, like the world they're in is just inhospitable to those seeds. Like, you can't, you can't plant that life now. You can't create that life now. You can't. But she's fighting for a world where hopefully you'll be able to. She still, she still has that, that hope. And um and we and we do see that that these women it's kind of their own version of necropolitics when they get their guns now guess what they also control who lives and who dies like in this movie it's it's kind of the great equalizer yeah it really is um and you know it, it's at this point when they realize the green place is no longer uh, habitable it's a like a poisonous swamp right um the new plan is to just ride off as far as they can get right across the desert. They say like 160 miles they can make it, um, you know. And, and this is where Max kind of realizes that is a hopeless plan. He has been out in the wasteland all these years, right? Uh, they they've been in the Citadel. He knows he, what it's like out there. Yeah, he knows that there's there is no place to go. Um, there, you know, it's just more death and and radiation. Um, so that's when he makes a decision to go after them. You know, not to leave them. And he and he says to Furiosa, you know, you have. You have the place to take. It's the Citadel. That's where your home should be. You need to reclaim that for, for you and the people. Uh, you know, and he's like, I'll help you. You know, he puts his hand out to her. You know, like, well, we can do this together. And she takes his hand, and that's the new plan. They're going to they're gonna ride back the way they came into Joe's forces to get to the Citadel while all his forces are out on the road and take it before they can get back. This whole film is beautiful visually, but that also is just great because... You know, in your typical movie, you might have them hug or maybe that's the moment where the kiss happens. And like, no, this is straight business, bro. Like Furiosa and him, they Dylan, you son of a bitch. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's what, you know, they give that handshake and they get to work. And uh, and, you know, this is similar to that whole argument of like people saying, oh, well, if the country stays the way it is, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. And they're trying to leave the Citadel, which despite the system in place is a pretty hospitable area, especially in this wasteland. Like, even no matter how bad it is there, people are still going there. Kind of reminds me of immigration, right? Like, there, you know, there are people who are leaving terrible situations just to come to our fucked up country to live, you know, to to be in a slightly less terrible situation, hopefully. Like, because as bad as it is, it's still a little better, right? Yeah. And and they decide they're going to fix the system, though. Yeah. So, and that, and that's what they do. It's, it's this argument of like, do you leave or do you stay and fix it? And they decide, you know what, we're going to, we're going to go and fix it. And there's, like you said, pulse pounding, riveting action. And uh, and it does does come to this point where, where Furiosa 
she uses that arm, which which kind of defines her character. You know what I mean? She she is defined by her by like her her open resistance, if if that makes sense. Because nobody gets their arm chopped off for no reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, you don't see any so, other wives with, with chopped off arms. It's her. You don't see any other Imperators with chopped off arms either. All the people with the black paint on the top part of their head. Um. So, uh, so yeah, so she uses that. And she has this moment where, where she says to him, remember me? And it, it, it is, I guess, a fair question to ask. Because, you know, the, the axe soon forgets, but the tree always remembers. Like, she'll always remember him, no matter what. Uh, but I don't think he ever forgot her. I, I always saw her as the woman who said no. And maybe, yeah. you know, maybe... I, I thought she said no to being a wife any longer, and that's how she got her arm cut off. Uh, but but you, you was it confirmed that it was because she was um, infertile or no? That's what she said in an interview. So in an interview. I, okay. I don't think we're going to really know until the phone comes out. Well, um, yeah, so... But, I mean, regardless, she still... She still led this rebellion, and yeah, like he remembers her. All right. I almost and took it as she was saying, "Remember me," not asking, more like telling him. I don't know. Oh I, shit! I, I was that's even to better, it. dude. That's awesome. I love. I love your fucking analysis of this film. Um, we mentioned that Max is the one to give life to her. Normally, a female role, you know, uh, typically. Uh, now he's the one to give life. He's the one to find new meaning. And, uh, and he's giving back to her because she she only was dying because she saved him. You know, she caught him as he was falling off the rig uh, and got stabbed in the side. So you know, it, it, you know, she she almost died to save him, and he was giving it back to her. You know, at the at the end of this uh, this one article, not the bullshit one, the like feminist one, it said the socialist revolution must first be a gender revolution. Hmm. And it, it was it was interesting because it uses the end of this movie to talk about that how like. By liberating the women, the men have been able to liberate themselves, and they've also been able to liberate everybody else there. Um, I like that. I think, I mean, yes, I also think race is involved there. And then, you know, with race Definitely. and, you know, uh, gender, there's also class. Like, I think it's all kind of together. Uh, but I definitely think gender is is a, is a huge part of that revolution. And... um you know, when they finally get back to the Citadel, they, they reveal that a Morton Joe is dead. Their leader and provider is dead. And, and how quickly the people after, turn, right? Oh, yeah, the people right away are like, let them up, let them up. You know, and they want Furiosa and the wives and maybe Max. I don't think they know who Max is. I don't think they care. You know, let them up because no, they're cheering her name. They're saying, you know, he's holding her up. Oh, yeah, they are cheering. Stand. And they're like, Furiosa! You know, and she's stumbling onto the roof and Max is, you know, he's holding her a little bit from the side, but she's the one they're all cheering. You know, she's this, this symbol of strength. Uh, yeah, and in this socialist fantasy, the whole thing ends with them literally seizing the means of production, uh, yeah. which... The you know the people who are loyal to Joe they don't want to they don't want to happen like one of Joe's sons is still in the Citadel yeah. you'd think he would be like no don't let him up I'm gonna be the leader but it's the workers who decide to let them up they get yeah. on that treadmill and they start pulling their levers and it's the children the war pups not the war boys either the war pups are like all right like let's go let's let Furiosa up let's usher in a new age like like guess what you may think these ideas are radical but more people than you know 
They want a more just society. They want progressivism. They want a future. Yeah, they might be afraid to say it, right? They might be afraid of the consequences, but they, they want it. And I love it as they're riding up this lift, they're pulling all these people up with them, right? The wives are grabbing people out of the out of the crowd and pulling them onto the lift, and you know everybody's welcome now. Yeah, rising tide raises all ships. And I, I now there's this moment here where Max sneaks off of the lift and kind of fades into the crowd. I don't know why I'm getting emotional about it right it now. Was. I was never emotional. Well, him and so him and Furiosa share that look, you know, and they nod at each other. It is, it is great. And like this is another case where like. He could stay, but I do I do really think that Max is representative of a bygone era. That yeah. while there are good things about him and a good things about his idea of, of of masculinity or aggression or whatever it may be, that his way of doing things is still done. He's been clinging on to that old cop Max. Yeah. He's not he's not meant for this world. And even though he is an ally, it's up to the liberated to build the new world. Absolutely. And I think as a character, he just, he wouldn't be comfortable settling. I think he has uh, too many demons, you know, he has too much that he is still trying to make up for and he needs to, to wander. He's the road warrior, you know, he can't just stay in one place. Um, And he knows Furiosa, I mean, I think there's just such a respect between him and Furiosa. He knows that with her there, he doesn't need to be, you know, she is more than strong enough to, to help lead this movement. Um, and, and so are the, the other wives, you know, but I, I just love the connection he has with her throughout the movie. Uh, you know, they have that, that great fight when he first confronts her They're going back <laughs> and so forth. Good. I mean, it's so good, you know, with the wives trying to attack him and then uh, Nux is trying to help him. And but it really comes down to him and Furiosa just brutally fighting. Um, and then they constantly have to team up, you know, and she teaches him that she, she entrusts him with the code for the truck. You know, she tells him, you know, you take off if you have to. Uh, she says, I'll scream fool because you won't tell me your name. And she gives him the code. She trusts him with that. And uh, as soon as she screams fool, he is in that driver's seat taking off. Uh, and then as they're escaping, right, like they have that. They're in sync. They're, they're, uh, they're shooting over each other and, and, you know, great exchanging guns and helping each other out. And they're, they're just they have such a great uh, camaraderie there, and I think you know. I thought that was excellent. The, the way they just right right off the bat, they could just work together so well um, and, and back each other up constantly. And that just plays also into how great the choreography was in this movie. I mean, a lot of this this film is visually stunning. It's awesome. It uses a lot of practical effects. Yep. I mean, it's one giant car car chase. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, the entire movie is almost the entire movie is on on vehicles. Uh, you know, riding across the desert, which is just insane with very little dialogue um, and, and just these crazy action moments and set pieces. And, you know, you got a, a guy on a guitar with the flames coming out of it, you know, hanging from the, the, the top of one truck. And I mean, it's it's just absolutely bonkers. Oh, man. And like because because, you know, I love like martial arts movies and stuff like that. But like sometimes you do see stuff that is just too clean, like. You know, like when you have like your John Wick threes has so much like has so much fighting in it and stuff. Um, but like at a point it gets to be exhausting. Like this movie constantly keeps you guessing because they're not 
fighters, they're survivors. And they're like using everything they can get and blah, you know, and like, oh, we got the bolt cutters. We got the hose with water. Yeah. We, you know, we got Max getting hit upside the mask and everything. And, you know, Furiosa's locking his neck down with her stub and everything. It was, it was <laughs> so great. And everyone's was, helping, right? There's, you know, there's at one point where they're surrounded and Furiosa and Max are firing every shot they have. She gives the rifle and she's like, reload it. Uh, and I think it's, uh, Angara, the uh, the pregnant one says I can't, right? And then Toast takes and she's loading the gun, and, and you know they're they're even trying to help out. You know, Fury's like, give me the gun, give me the gun, and she's like, it's not ready, it's not ready. You know, Max pops up, he helps her out, and you know they're at the very end, especially everyone is fighting. They're doing everything they can to uh, to survive and to help, and and, and you know I, I love seeing that. It, it was just it was awesome, and, and you know each of the wives has like you know a little distinct thing about them that they stand out. You know. Um, there's one that's Cheeto the Fragile, and she's the one that says, you know, we should go back. We can't do this. You know, let's just go back to him. And, you know, they convince her that it's not the right move, that they have to, you know, fight for their survival. And it, almost at the end, she says to Rictus, you know, take take me, Rictus, and he grabs her. And you think, oh, wow, she's, you know, she's, she has given up. She's going back with him. But she only did it so she could help Furiosa get onto, the, onto Joe's truck. You know, and it was like, it's so good seeing them all come together and be so strong. It's like you said in a previous episode that everybody has their role to play in the revolution. Like not everybody's going to be, you know, one, you know, the Max or the Furiosa. A lot of you, you might be the wives who are, you know, who have to, you know, reload and supply resources. You might be Nux. Uh, you might, you know, or you might be out there on the front lines. It's, you know, everybody has a different role to play. But as long as they're playing those roles together, that's that's really what's going to 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 help. And it, it, it was awesome. And it, it it flowed so well, and, um, and I know you mentioned this too, but uh, you know it it is worth really looking at the fact that all of the leaders, uh, Joe's leaders, except for Furiosa, really um, are like older white men, right? The bullet farmer, uh, the man eater from from Gasoline Town, like they're they're all these older white, you know, conservative men who who are running things, and they have to be you know, systematically toppled one by one in order to really win their freedom. And if a Morton Joe is truly a representative of capitalism, an avatar for capitalism, then he's the one who put these men in their place. We find out in the prequel comic that the only reason those guys are in power is because Joe put them there. Capitalism set them up to be there. One of them was a traitor to his people and ended up being put in charge of fuel. And, it, you know, they call it guzzoline. And the uh, and the other guy, he was put in charge of like you know munitions and mining lead, and he's known as the bullet farmer. Very you know similar to our you know military industrial complex. Like it's all right there in front of us. I don't know how I didn't recognize a lot of it in the first watch I had of it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're not looking forward, if you're not paying attention to those things, it's easy to miss and just say, oh, it was a really cool action movie. But um, obviously, there's a lot more to it. Uh, and it is a really cool action movie. You know, they, they really, they, they pull off some amazing stunts, uh, beautiful set pieces. It's it just, you know, it's gorgeous to watch. It's, you know, I said that earlier, it's it's like nonstop. You know, you just, you have to pay attention to every moment because you don't know what's going to happen next. And apparently it's also a socialist wet dream, which <laughs> I didn't realize from the beginning, but, uh, you know, but from the first watch, but here we are. And I'm glad it worked out that way. Yeah, me too. So do you have anything else you'd like to cover from Mad Max Fury Road? Uh, I do like one little moment when um, Furiosa is trying to make her deal for them to, uh, you know, get past and, and have the rocks blown behind them to block Joe. 
Uh, at this point, she hasn't had, you know, the, the oil, you know, the smudge on her face. She's kind of become, you know, a different person. But she, she takes a moment, she smears it across her eyes, and she looks in the mirror. And I, she kind of looks at herself, and that's the old Furiosa, the one that she's trying to break away from. I just thought that was a really cool little nuance, a little moment there. Wow, that's great. I didn't even realize that. Thank, thanks for bringing it up. But yeah, she, you're right. Like, she is becoming an individual again. She's becoming something else. But in order to maintain the looks of being an Imperator, she has to put the, you know, the grease back on her face. But I, I, I didn't even acknowledge that that she looks back at herself like that. That was great. You know, uh, otherwise, I, I do want, you know, I want to recommend the movie to anyone listening. If they haven't seen it, it's a really, really good time. Uh, there's some really great moments and it just, uh, you know, has a great message, too. I might go back and rewatch the other Mad Max movies. Maybe we could do that as like a fun little. I actually am about to. I have the trilogy out right now. (laughs) All right. Well, that being said, definitely take a look at this movie. Um, You can find all of our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. A lot of my uh, commentary on the film was based on those sources. uh, So you can definitely check those out. Uh, You can listen to us and rate and review us, please, on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or the iHeartRadio app. You could find us on Twitter at PolitipopPod. Find us on Instagram at PolitipopPodcast or email us at PolitipopCast at gmail.com. If you want to let us know what you think of the show, let us know if you agree with what we're saying, let us know if you disagree with what we're saying, and we're a bunch of socialist beta male cuck soy boys. Um... (laughs) <laughs> which we are some of those things i think actually um but uh but that being said th- this was fantastic thanks so much uh for for listening and tuning in and uh thank you to antonio little for logo design as well today we are going to be riding out on help i'm alive by metric uh if you check out that song in the lyrics i think you'll see that it is uh very reminiscent of the themes within this movie for the politipop podcast i've been mike booch And I've been Ty. And remember, no matter what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're listening to, always remember to never stop thinking, never stop learning. Look up weird, conservative, but anti-patriarchal articles, Uh, but also (laughs) scholarly articles. Um, And don't forget to read between the lines. going to be a good time yeah if you have if you're listening and you haven't seen the movie obviously beware spoilers and go watch it can we make that a regular thing that you say that we probably should right that sounded so great it came out so <laughs> right oh my god Tyler, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so he helps her get his daughter back and he's also her um, daughter he back. helps her get her daughter back that's his big thing but this really brought uh brought to me the idea of this really, but sorry, that doesn't make any fucking sense, does it? I don't think it makes any sense. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about one of the other people who said no, or do you want to get to her a little bit later on? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> Furiosa. 
Oh, oh, sure, sure. We can talk about Furiosa, yeah. And I do like that Furiosa... I do like something about her. I'll tell you that. She's much. cool. She's real cool. I do like something about Furiosa. Oh, I got such a bird for that. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's my man. Yep. No, get it out, buddy. Got that, got that gas. <laughs> Alright. Yes. Yeah, his mother died of, of you know, being sick from all the the, the radioactive waste. What is it? Radiation? Radiation? Duh. You're blowing my world right now. <laughs> Sorry, wait, no. <laughs> You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Because it's like you said in our last episode, uh, the last housekeeping episode, or was it the V for Vendetta episode? And scene. Oh, there he is. 